Well, so hey, as you heard from our, our text today, as Levi was reading, we, we worship a very hospitable God, right? He invites everyone to pull up a chair at the table and to feast with him forever. Well, that's a good news, right? Uh, I really believe hospitality is at the heart of church planting. Like, it's not just a subcategory of something we do. I actually believe that it, is, it needs to be the heartbeat of all the church is known for as long as it's gospel hospitality, right? Um, which is why, by the way, very encouraged about For the City Church. I've seen you all grow tons over the last year and a half of opening your heart and opening your home and opening your lives to the point it's very humbling just to watch you take steps out of your comfort zone and, and, and just, just to do what God's asked you to do and to trust that he'll give you everything you need in that moment to do it. So know when I get into this text, there's some pieces where Jesus is like, well, let's, let's do a gut check. But I want you to know I'm just encouraged by our church, thoroughly encouraged, right? But I'll tell you this, it, hospitality is a lost art for many churches, it really is. Many times churches have their theology informed by the Bible, but their methodology, what they do, is more informed by CEOs than it is actually Scripture. And, and you can see this because they, they look to the best businesses, and they look to marketing, and they look to all these things, and they get the sharpest of minds, and they say, how can we do that in a Jesus way? And I think that's a really good thing to do. We ought to be a people who contextualize what we do to the city we're in. But i got to tell you, many times their theology is detached from what they actually do in their methodology, right? When, when, let, let me ask you a question. Finish this sentence. You can finish it in your mind or you can say it out loud. Jesus came to. Yeah, my man. Yeah, okay, good. So, so you, many of you, if not all of you, who spoke out loud actually said Jesus came to seek and save the lost, which is, I think is Luke 19.10. By the way, this fall we're going to jump into Luke and we're going to spend probably the next three years there, probably two. You laugh, I'm not kidding. Um, it'll at least probably be two. And uh, we're going to work our way through that. Um, and it's going to be good and I hope you'll join us, right? He came to seek and save the lost. Let's call that mission. That was his mission, right? But Jesus, what was the means of that? Well, he, he came to serve and not be served, but to give his life as a ransom. So we see the picture of the gospel. That's how he's going to save the lost. That's his, that's his means. You know what never gets much airtime is that his method. And his method was Jesus came eating and drinking. He just simply ate with people. He just broke bread with people. He gathered people around the table, and he broke bread. His strategy was not to start a program. His strategy was not to build a building. Buildings are good. Programs are fine, right? He did not come with, like, haze and lights and concerts. He just came, put on flesh, humbled himself, and broke bread with people. And, and this has been a huge emphasis for our church, is to just open our homes, open our hearts, and invite people in right? And share the gospel with them. So before walking our way through this text today, I got one more question for you. It's kind of fun to think about. Uh, if you could, you know, go back in time, I don't care how far you want to go back, or it could be now. Who would you want to, if you had one opportunity to have a meal with someone, who would it be and why? Don't answer that out loud. But think about that, right? I thought about it this week, and I thought, my guess, it would it'd either be my sister and as an adult man, 
Or it would probably be my grandma and grandpa rising because I was such a young guy when they died. And they were awesome folks, man. Like what I remember was stunning. So it'd probably be one of those folks. Um, some of you, you good church kids might have said, Jesus. <laughs> and that's a good, that's a, that's a great answer. How could you not say that's a good answer? Uh, but you're going you're gonna to enjoy eternity with Jesus. And I'll tell you what, he might surprise you at the dinner party. He's not always the guest you think he might be. And I think that's what you're going to hear if you'll pay attention in this text today. So let's work our way through it. Luke 14, 1 through 24, but we're, gonna, we're just going to work our way through it. So first six verses is where we're going to be looking at, okay? So one Sabbath, and by the way, we're not going to tackle all this text. There's no way to do that. You want to hear that? Come back. We're going to be in Luke. I said this fall. Okay. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Well, this sounds like a party. Like, who wants to go to that? Ruler of the Pharisee, and they're intently watching you. And by the way, watching you is they're not just watching how he, like, cuts up his lamb. They're, like, watching him. They're trying to trip this man up. Reminded me of going to a real fundy preaching conference one time. Everyone was in bow ties and dressed up. I looked like the Unabomber because generally if you hang out with me, I got jeans and a hoodie on. And I was like, one of these things is not like the other, right? They're all watching me like, what's this guy's deal? They're watching Christ because they want to trap him. It's what that, you got to get the context. What's happening? And behold, <laughs> like ta-da, that's, that's really the, the phrase. There was a man before him who had dropsy. What is dropsy? It's not what my mom thought I had every time I would carry things. She'd call me Messy Marvin. I'd drop stuff all the time. It was really, you just filled up with fluid and you would be unclean. So they, they just bring this guy who's already suffering into a situation and use him as a prop. And it's sad. And so look what, look what they say. And behold, there's a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, he's so good, he's quick. I know you're trying to trap me. I'm going to beat you to the punch. Here's the question. I have a question for you. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and he healed him and he sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day would not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. So, so Jesus, he sees, he knows all. He knows you're putting me in a, in a trap, but you're not that good. Let me ask you a question. He asked them the question, and they're silent, right? And, and what he's doing, he's confronting their religious bondage. That is the heart of what's happening at the dinner. So it continues, uh, 7 through 11. Now, he told him a parable. He told him a story, and he... To those who were invited, by the way, listen to the fact that Jesus confronts the guest and he rebukes their pride. Oh, Jesus, you shouldn't do that at a dinner party. That's not nice etiquette. But listen to what he does. Let me tell you a story. When he noticed that they had chose their place of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say, give your place to this person and then you'll begin to begin with shame and to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit at the lowest place so that when your, your host comes and says to you, friend, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
Now, that is not some just pithy little story so that you can figure out how to get a good seat at a dinner table. He, he's, he's actually talking to them. He, he's letting you know, like, I know you guys are all about sitting at the place of honor. Let other people do that for you. Don't, don't be boasting all the time. Don't be taking the best seat thinking you're the best. Because then if they actually say, actually, we need to just slide down a little bit, you're going to be shamed. But if you take the lowest seat and let someone else say, no, friend, come up here. Well, thanks. You'll feel honored. Well, why is he getting at that? Well, I think it starts to get really clear really quick, right? So, he re- okay, he's rebuked the guest now. Oh, Jesus, you shouldn't do that. Look what he does now, 12 through 15. We're going to land in 16 through 24 and work our way through that, but I just want to set the table, so to speak. Jesus is now going to rebuke the host, and he's going to talk about his like, very haughty exclusivity, right? So listen, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Okay, that's a tense moment, by the way. You, he just said, all the people you invited, you really shouldn't have invited. By the way, you can't invite your friends to your house. Okay, that's not the point. We'll get there. But then you could feel the tension. Okay, he's just laid everyone out at the dinner. But there's always one in every crowd. And here he is. When one of those who were reclined at the table heard these things, he said to him, Well, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. You can always hear him say it like that. Or her, right? But, right, there's always one. If it gets tense, like someone just died, well, at least they're in a better place. Well, maybe. Maybe they're in a better place. But they say that because I can't stand the conflict. I can't stand the tension. And this pious little platitude is of no help. It's of no help. And Jesus won't be deterred. <laughs> he will not be deterred. So he, he continues. Right? Basically, get what he's saying. Jesus is saying, give your life to serving those who cannot repay you. And you will be repaid in the kingdom. My, my God will, our Father, He will repay you. You're trying to live your best life now. He's saying, no, that will come. That will come. Right now, you just serve those who have no opportunity to serve you back. Well, the question is, though, who are those who will eat the bread in the kingdom? That is the question. And it's a good question. So Jesus takes the opportunity to tell a parable. To drive home the point of the kingdom and of gospel hospitality and the urgent need to respond to the invitation. So I think you'll hear it, listen, 16 through 24, and then we're going to see what we can learn from this text in our context. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at that time of the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now, now listen, if you get this invitation, you want to go. Everything's ready. It's a great banquet. It's going to be amazing. Listen to the lame excuses. You get three of them, right? But they all began to make excuses. The first said to him, well, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. First off, who buys fields doesn't see them first, right? They didn't have internet. And fields were pretty important back then, right? Like, is it good ground? Does it have water on it? How about vines? 
No, just, he's just making a lame excuse. The next one says, well, I have bought five oxen, and I go now to examine them. Please have me excused. Same thing, right? Another one says, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported. By the way, what lady doesn't want to go to a great banquet, get dressed up, and feast and enjoy? They're just like, I don't want to come. And, and he's, he's, he's actually talking about them. So the servant came and reported these things to the master, and the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor, the crippled, and the blind, and the lame. And, and the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, but still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges. Compel people to come in that my house may be Field. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. That's, that's a dun, dun, dun moment because he's saying, you're not going to be there to eat the bread. Whoa, whoa, that's pretty tense. And they would have known what he meant. So, so what do we learn? What do we learn here? Well, I think one, one thing we got to learn from this text is Gospel hospitality involves compassion. Jesus is full of compassion, right? It, much of what, where we got, get our thoughts of hospitality is actually more from entertaining. And, and I mean that, right? But I want you to know, in the New Testament, hospitality, the word hospitality in the Greek actually just means a love of strangers. That's what it means, Right? So we say hospitality and entertaining are the same thing, but I would, I would actually say no, they're not. So then why is compassion so important when it comes to gospel hospitality, good news hospitality? Because compassion means to feel mercy, to feel sympathy, to have pity, but not just feelings. It can't just remain there. It's actually love and action. So you see someone who doesn't have a place to be, you don't have a place to enjoy food, you don't have a family, you don't have a people. Compassion says, it doesn't just say, well, I feel for you, let me pray for you, sister. It says, man, come to my house. Let's, let's enjoy a meal. Let's go to the White Rabbit, enjoy a coffee. It's, it's love and action. And we commit a grave error when we make church, the gathering of God's people, an exclusive club for the religious elite. And that happens. It happens to the best of people. Have you ever looked at someone and thought, well, that person, they just wouldn't be interested in the gospel. They, they wouldn't be interested in, in coming to our picnic. Um, they live in such a wicked way. I mean, how could they? Or have you ever looked at someone and said, there's no way they would want to come because their faith is of the Muslim faith. It's of the Hindu faith. There's no way they would want to come to our gathering. And we conclude that the gospel is not for him or for her. And, and that's wrong because that's judgment in most sense and not compassion. We invite. We invite them all. We invite everyone to come, to feast, to enjoy. And they have to do something with the gospel and they have to make a response. But that's not our job. Our job is just to spread out the table and say, come eat. Because Christ has already done that. And so we have to have compassion to want to even do that. Remember the compassion of Christ, right? It is the transformation of the gospel that brings about real change, 
right? It's the power of God. And so Jesus was moved with compassion when he healed the man with dropsy, right? Jesus healed him. He saw his need and he healed him. And all throughout the gospel, the Pharisees and the scribes were generally proud. They were very corrupt people and they despised the outcast. They despised the neglected. But Jesus, Jesus had compassion on them. He taught them. He broke bread with them. He healed them. He loved them. He spent time with them. He went to where they were. And I think, boy, God's people have to do this. I think of a particular friend who's a missionary in Israel. And in his context, he works with very poor people. And, and so it really does work to have a fancy dinner and invite them. And so they come. And they're so lost, man. And most of them are Russians who actually were displaced during like the fall of communism and they came down. And, and they've been living in Israel for years. They're Jewish folks, but they're from Russia. And it's amazing. We're just cracking open the Bible and they're cracking open the vodka. And we're talking about the gospel as they're eating and they're drinking and they're feasting. But many of them have come to faith in Christ as their Messiah because they were invited to come have a meal. And now the feast with God forever. And we have to figure out how to do that. My friend has figured out how to do that there. So, but to even want to do that takes compassion. So maybe the first thing you need is to see the people around you who don't have a people and ask God to break your heart for the things that break his. And give me this compassion. Give me this desire. Because you may not want to, if you could be real honest. It's just easier to hang out with people who look just like you. And I think you're going to miss out on so much of life and so much of what God wants to do through you if that's where you remain. So what else does it require? Well, gospel hospitality involves humility. Does your hospitality seek to serve you and your agendas so that you can get the applause and everybody can say how amazing your parties are? Or does it seek to serve those who have nothing to offer you? They can't even bring wonder bread, right? They, they got nothing they're not bringing anything except burdens and problems and, and, and a lot of mess, right? This is a good gut check question to ask yourself, right? And I already said it, but this doesn't mean you cannot have your friends in your circle over to your home. You should. Our church is big about that, right? We're all about that, but we're going to call that fellowship. We're going to call that fellowship. Hospitality is for the love of strangers. It's for those who you just don't know. And I think you got to get to know them a little bit before you invite them in. But hey, maybe not. We, uh, that's a story that I'd love to tell you, but we don't have time. We've had people in our home for Thanksgiving that we just met that week. And I don't say that because, well, aren't you special? No, I'm really not. I'm just seeking to follow God. And, and by God's grace, we sloppily do it. Sometimes I think we get close. But I tell you what, you got to try. you got to try. You might be amazed when you open your heart and your home in that way what he'll do. They might be friends forever. They might be friends forever. Well, notice what Jesus says again, once again in 12 through 14. When you give a dinner banquet, a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. See, there's a way to do hospitality. It's about you. It's, it's slick. It's, it's, I want to work at your firm. How about you come join me for dinner? Right? And you serve them filet mignon and you do all the things, but really you're giving yourself a gift. The church can do this. The church can do this by hoping, if I do these things, you'll receive Christ. Now we do desire that, we do want that, but what if they don't? Will you still invite them to your home? Will you still love them? That's what Christ does. He doesn't love you based on a future response. 
he loves and he invites you in and man I need to grow here I'm assuming you do too but he says when you give a feast invite the poor the crippled the lame the blind and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you for you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just genuine hospitality is messy it really is it's so costly it's going to cost you time it's going to cost you money it it requires humility Depending on who you invite in, you might have got to sleep with like one eye open. Straight up, right? Emily lived with us for like a year, almost, maybe a little less. I never worried about it. <laughs> she was not going to harm us. But we've had some people in our home, not sleeping, but like just for a day or two that I thought, yeah, I got to keep my eyes open on this person. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. But you, you're going to be anxious about that, maybe. You're going to have to pray about that. Or do you only invite the people who never create a mess? Think about how Christ invited you. You're messy. I was messy. And he didn't say, get your stuff together before you come. He said, no, here I am. I serve you. I love you. Come on in. And he cleans you up from the inside out. But he doesn't wait till you are. So... so we must be concerned about the care of other people. We must think of them. We must care for them. Why? Because that means you actually understand the gospel at a level that is beyond intellectual. Because if you understand the gospel, you understand you are the poor. You are the crippled. You are the lame. You are the blind. I am too. And God came and invited us in. And we cannot repay him. And it's foolish when we try. Grace is a gift. We receive it. We don't try to pay it back. We just receive it. His people ought to look just like him, even though we'll never achieve that. But I hear that all the time, and I think many times when people say that, that means I'm not going to try. Well, let us, let us give ourselves to following Christ and trusting he'll give us the power to do the things he's called us to do. That is the good life, right? When this happens, it's always a miracle. It's always a miracle because we are not naturally not humble people. We're prideful people, right? By nature, we're prideful. And when we come to Christ, that doesn't just go away. We're still prideful. And many times we can be prideful in a very religious way or even an irreligious way. But, but here's the thing. When we look at the cross and we see our bloody Savior dying for our sins, it's very hard to have swagger. It's very hard to think you're awesome. I mean, no one's going to come strutting into the kingdom. You can't fit through the narrow gate with a puffed up chest and a big head. Well, we ought to look at it now, because I think too many times we walk around, well, of course they didn't want it, because blah, 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 they, they just don't like God. Well, well maybe, maybe they, they just see your arrogance, they want nothing to do with whatever you worship. Many times it's not the God of the Bible. God, help us to look more like Christ. It's easy just to be defensive and act like that, and then just say, well, of course they don't want nothing with Jesus. First off, that whole thought, they may not. But let us not be the stumbling block. Let the gospel be the stumbling block. Take time to get to know them. And you'll never get to know them unless you invite them into your life. You just won't. They have stories. Let's hear them. Tim Keller sums up humility in a, in a great way. Listen to what he says. Humility is a byproduct of belief in the gospel of Christ. In the gospel, we have confidence not based on our performance, but in the love of God in Christ. And this frees us up from having to always be looking at ourselves. Our sin was so great, nothing less than the death of Jesus could save us. He had to die for us. But his love was so great 
Jesus was glad to die for us. Man, may that, may that be our heart as we engage the city. It will not happen unless we understand the gospel, we receive the gospel, we drink from the fountain of grace, and we become a people of the gospel. And it's out of the overflow of that that this will start to happen in our lives first, and then it'll spread to our neighbors and throughout the city. So we're a gospel people. Listen, um, when empowered by God's grace, listen to what Jesus says about welcoming the least of these. He says it in Matthew 25, 35 through 40. Listen to this text, because if you get this text, you're at the very heart of Christ, and you'll even welcome Christ himself. So let's listen to what he says. He says, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And, and when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And, and when did we see you sick or in prison and, and visit you? And listen to what Jesus says. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Who do you aim to please? That's a question you got to think about. you got to wrestle with this. Who do you aim to please? Do you desire the applause of man? Or are you content with just being a gospel nobody? That's a question for you to ponder. That's a question for you to think about. It ought to cause you to not be like, yeah, I'm knocking it out of the park. You're like, no, I've made some strides. Thank God for grace. God, help me to continue to make strides. We all need to grow, right? This kind of hospitality goes far beyond our home or our apartments, though. I want you to know that. And for the city church, we desire to embody this kind of heart, right? In our homes, in our missional community groups, and, and, and here on Sunday mornings. But, but it doesn't just stop there. At the block party that we hope to have this August when we invite all our neighbors in to come and celebrate with us, at the summer night markets, right? Anywhere we go, we want to be a people that invite people in. We want to be a hospitable people. I can tell you right now, this church at the core of the people who would say, this is my church, you all are a hospitable people. I mean, at, at, at every level, I've seen you take strides and grow. And we give God praise for that because that's not us. That's the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. But it is a people who are humbling themselves and saying, God, I, I need help. I need help. Help me. You're not passive in this. You're seeking and trusting God in that moment. So do you see the least of these in the city? That's the question. They're all around you. They're everywhere. If you just take the time to slow down and look... Uh, and so let me ask you a question. Do you know any single moms? Single moms, man, it's, it's, I'm not a single mom. Shocker. I imagine it's really hard work. I've talked to enough to know it is. Do you see them? Do you know any snotty-nosed kids hanging out in the neighborhood? Now, you want to be wise about how you engage that. You want to get to know mom, dad, or whoever's there. But I, I got to tell you, man, I remember some of my fondest moments is when we would have kids come over to our front porch and Jess would just throw down pancakes, bacon, sausage, and we would feast. And if you ever want to get kids excited about the gospel, talk about Jesus in the book of Revelation, like when he's coming back and he's got a sword coming out of his mouth and blood-drenched coat. And like, they're like, tell me more, right? Like, and, and they want to hear more. And, and they want to hear people, they want to hear. But we'd invite them in, and they just hang out. 
These are the least, these are, they offer me nothing. But I got to tell you, it was in those moments I was at the happiest when I would just see these kids just enjoy. Because I knew many of their lives, that might not have been what home looked like. Right? Do you know any snotty-nosed kids? Um, someone who struggles physically or, or mentally. Mentally. Oh, they're scary, I know. They're scary, I know. My mom was bipolar. I, I know what it does to a, a person, and it's very terrifying to get to know them because you think, I, I got nothing to offer you. And in one way, if you think that way, you're, you're really right. But then when you think about, but Christ in me, I have a lot to offer you. I can love you, but they will be messy. I don't care how medicated they are. They'll be messy, right? Do you get to know them? Do you love them? Do you see them? If not, why? Why? Ask yourself that. Ask the Lord to reveal it to you. He's a kind God. He will show you. And it might just be a fear that you need to work through. And you might need to work through that in community with a friend. It's not always because you just, well, I just hate people. It's not generally that at all. It's, there's fear there. There's something. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough. Whatever that is, ask God to meet it. And keep confessing it. Keep bringing it to him. And keep trusting. He's going to give you what you need to do what he's called you to do. Why? Because that's the kind of God we serve. It's the kind of God we worship. John Newton once said this on this particular subject and actually this text. He said, one would think that this, he means section of scripture, were not God's word because it's so neglected by God's people. Let that not be us. By the way, guilt, or if you're feeling like I'm such a laser, guilt never drives behavioral change for long, for a season. You know what does? Grace. When we think about the God who invited us in when we had nothing to offer him. And, and we think about his smile and his delight and that he loved to do it, right? That is what drives real transformation. It's the gospel. And so, I think you get the point. I, I want to say this. If you, if you desire a safe, comfortable life, don't read the Bible and don't follow Jesus. That's my encouragement to you. Now, you've got to quote me in context, or that could sound really bad. <laughs> Remember earlier when I pointed out in, in Luke 7, Jesus says, come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I want you to know, I, I said, Jess, if you ever bury me, I, I want on my tombstone, it says, just a friend of sinners. That's, I, I want that said about me. I want that said about me as a man and as a family, right? But unfortunately, all too often, religious folks, or let's say consumer Christians, I think they're the same, um, they just look different. They have come grumbling, they have come complaining, and many say, look at them! But you know what they mean when they say, look at them? How conservative, how clean, and oh, they only hang out with each other. And, and they think that that's where to live. My question to you this morning is, who do you resemble more? Now, I'm going to be clarifying, because you're like, I'm like Jesus, I'm eating and drinking. <laughs> he never got drunk, and he wasn't a glutton. It was very missional, right? He, he knew what he was doing. But who do you look like more? Would it be said of you, that person is a friend of sinners, and that they walk with Jesus? Because that really is our mantra for church planting. It, I, we try to say things simply, Walk with Jesus, make friends. You can do that. 
And, and that's really what we seek to do while we're here. Because we should never expect that people come in who want nothing to do with Jesus to a gathering. I mean, why would they? Well, because you got music. You can go get music. We went and got music last night. It was down in the park. They even had fireworks. We have no fireworks, right? You, well, you can get some food. You can get good food. But you know what? I can get food lots of different places. We're past the age where lost and de-churched people are like, yeah, I'll just I'll come hang out at church. Almost always when people will come to church is because you've made a friendship with them. And just say, Man, I would love for you to come with me to church. Oh, and by the way, afterwards, we almost always get together and we feast. So you do, and if you're like, well, maybe I don't want to bring them around everybody. It'd be a little overwhelming. Then maybe take them out to lunch. Maybe take them out to coffee. And do something better than a hot pocket, right? Hot pockets are cool. But, but do something better than, like, well, maybe that's all I can afford. Well, I'll give you a couple bucks and you can now afford something more. But if not, I'll tell you what, I'd rather you give them a hot pocket. I'd rather you give them a hot dog than give them nothing. Give them something. Give them Christ. Who do you resemble more? Will it be said of you that you're a friend of sinners? Rosaria Butterfield, I'd love to talk about her. Don't have time. Look up her book. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. If you just get the title, you get the book, and it'll change your life. She said this, Jesus dined with sinners, but he didn't sin with sinners. That'll preach. Jesus lived in the world, but didn't live like the world. This is the Jesus paradox. And that's what we're calling you to. That's what the Bible's calling you to. And if you can see it in the Bible, and you're a Jesus person, submit and obey, right? And I didn't grow up in the church. If I did, I'd be like, because there's no better way or something like that. Um, but, but seriously, obedience and living life in glad submission in Christ is not a joy stealer. It's actually where joy is found. Because guess what? He's the author of joy. And he is for your joy. And he wants your joy in him. And many times we try to live a dualistic life, but actually it's when we just come under his easy, gentle, lovely yoke that we say, I don't know what I'm doing. I make a horrible God. How about I just trust and follow you? That life is found. That life is found. And so God help us to do that. Once again, I'm very encouraged to see this church seek to do that. Very thankful. The last point is, is that gospel hospitality involves generosity. It involves generosity. Now, I can imagine right now myself sitting in the seat, hearing all this come at me, and, and things start probably coming to my mind. Because, I mean, I sat under much preaching in my time and in my life. And I remember as a, a newly born-again man at the age of 23, and almost every sermon for about a year and a half, two years, I felt like God was just directly just undoing me and showing me all the ways I don't measure up. And they didn't really get the gospel well there, so then I just left condemned. But then I finally did get a church where they really did get the gospel well, and so I still felt very convicted, but in a good way, and then I would leave just being reminded of the beauty of the gospel and that all my sin and all my shame was nailed to the cross. And so I might leave feeling the weight of conviction but with my head held high not like look at me but like look at my God right and, and so I, I could imagine you might be there in a, in a moment like this man I just I don't measure up why don't I live like this you might be thinking and often it's it's not because you don't want to but sometimes it is it's because many times you just don't want it to wreck your comforts that was why I came to many times 
Uh, and that was generally an answer that I would get to, right? I, I don't want them to break our fancy china, which we really didn't have fancy china. And if we did, we didn't bring it out for much. But maybe I don't want them to tear a hole in my sofa. I really like my sofa. I have a dog right now that's going to rip up my sofa. And I don't like it. Um, but I've got to be hospitable with this dog too, I guess. They're going to mess up my schedule. They're going to screw up my routine. They're just going to show up unannounced. And I really like me time. Like me time. And so let me just touch on this. There, there's a cultural mantra right now, and I get it. So you can save the emails or send them to me. I'll read them. That says, my home is my, finish the statement. Uh, yeah, refuge I hear a lot. Huh? Yeah, it's, it's my refuge. Sanctuary. Sanctuary. Dude, come on now. I would tell you, I think there's probably a context where I, I get that. But a gospel people, can I just tell you, the, the Lord is your refuge. And when you have that mindset, you won't invite people into your life. And you won't invite people into your home. Why? Because that's about me. That's about me and Netflix. That's about me. There goes a little wedding band. I thought it was a spider, but it's not. Is that yours? It's okay, buddy. I distract easily. Um, it's all good. You want to leave that on? So, um, yeah, I know. He does have a tattoo. Anyway, family, you don't need a big house. You don't need a big bank account to do what Jesus is calling you to do here. You know what you need? You need an open heart. You need a big heart. That's what you need. By God's grace, you can have that. Ask him to open your heart to people around you. Ask him to do it. He'll do it. He will do it. Be the type of people that there's always room for one more person at your table. And you're like, well, I don't even have a table. Well, we can actually say we don't either now. Right? We have an island with seats around it. Right? Our house is kind of small. But you will find that people will come. You'll find that you can. Because why? Because this is how God treats you. This is how God treats you. And, and he desires a full house. Don't miss that in this text. He desires a full house. They don't want it. They don't want to come and seat and, and dine with me. Then go. Go. And you can pell everyone. Why? Because my house will be full. Now, we're going to get into all the context of what was really happening there when we get into Luke. But really what he's saying is, Israel did not want to receive my first invitation when the prophets came and preached about this. Well, then we're going to go to the Gentile world. We're going to go to all the people and we're going to say, come and we're going to fill this thing up and we're going to party. Not like it's 1999, because 1999 was not that exciting, right? Like, and, and not even like, well, like Tupac, who's like one of my favorites or, you know, yeah, who said Yeah. Right? There ain't no party like a West Coast party because a West Coast party... Right. But I got to tell you, there ain't no party like a Jesus party because a Jesus party actually never stops. It does go on forever. And he desires that people come and feast with him. To feast with him. To enjoy life with him. And not when you die, but now. Come and receive. That's what he's saying. Compel them compel them. It's, it's not like I'm just going to give you a flyer. Well, we'd like it if you came to our church. Well, that's inviting. I think I'd rather go and get dental work done today. You don't know them. Why would they come? 
Compel them. Get to know them. Love them. Serve them. Show them the love of Christ with your life, with your lips. And then say, I want you. I want you with me. I want you to know my God. I know life's been hard and I know that I don't understand all the complexities of what you're going through, but I want you to know my God knows and He loves you and He has sent His Son to die for you so that you might have life with Him. Oh no, God's a a killjoy. No, no, no. He He is joy personified. Jesus is where life is found and it's abundant life. You've been trying to run your life your own way and it's, you've made a wreck of it. Some of it your fault, some of it not. But I want you to know, God is a redeeming God. He wants to bring beauty from the ashes that you have right now. He's not absent. He's not far from you. He's very near. The fact that I'm standing here talking to you, inviting you, compelling you to come ought to be proof of His love. And if you wonder, does He love me? Yeah, he loved you while you were a weak, ungodly sinner that had nothing to offer except sin that needed cared for. And what did he do? He sent his son to die in your place. He didn't crush you. He didn't send you to hell, which is what every one of us deserve. Every one of us deserve hell. Every one of us deserves God's wrath. It's what we deserve. It's what our sins deserve. He didn't give us what we deserve. He gave us what we could never earn. He gave us his son as a substitute. As a substitute. Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. He willingly went to the cross and he stretched out his arms in love and he received the wrath of God in our place. He received what we deserve to give us something we could never earn, which was forgiveness and righteousness. Why? Because he took on all our sin and he took it to the grave. He became sin for us. Why? Because he loves sinners. Why? Because that's all there is. That's all there is. And he loves you. And he willingly died to save you and to bring you into everlasting joy with the Father. That was his mission. He wanted to bring you home. Why? So you could feast with him forever. Man, there's such a theme of eating with God all throughout the Bible. In the garden, it was the first meal that they decided they wanted to eat far from God. And ever since then, they've been feasting. In so many ways, it was the wrong way. And Jesus is like, it's time to set the table right. And so he said, come. Come feast with me. Come enjoy life with me. God's people ought to be a people who compel people to come in. But you can't do that if you don't know the people who are outside looking in. And so God, help us to know. Be a generous person with your guest list. Invite people. Always have room for more. Be generous with your meal prep. Be generous with the life that God has given you. Be a good steward of all that he's given you until the day. Because you're going to be repaid in the resurrection. Think about that. Think about Not here now. This ain't your best life now. You might be having a great life. Praise God for that. Could change tomorrow. We're all one phone call away from things going really bad for us. So enjoy it. Live it up. Lap it up. But why is it, I've heard it said, and it's so true, why is it that God is more willing to save sinners than sinners are to be saved? Well, I have theological answers for that. But I think many times it's because they don't know. Let it not be said of us. 
Let it not be said of us. Two more texts, because I want you to get a picture of what you're inviting people to, okay? So one's from the Old Testament. It's found in Isaiah chapter 25, 6 through 9, and one's going to be found in the book of Revelation. So let's look at the Isaiah text first. It's talking about the kingdom that is to come. As a matter of fact, it's really what the man who said, well, we'll all be blessed when we eat bread in the kingdom is referring to. And listen to the text. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. So have you ever thought that God's going to prepare a feast for you, right? Who likes cooking shows? Not as many as I thought. But like when I watch like Iron Chef America or Iron Chef whatever, and they're like throwing down, I'm just like, man, I want to be there. And if I could have one person cook me a meal outside of my wife, wherever she might be, which is amazing, um, it would be Bobby Flay. Yeah, come on, right? But, but listen, my guess is King Jesus could like just destroy Bobby Flay in an Iron Chef America contest. And it says here, he will prepare a feast of rich food. What's that mean? I don't know, but it sounds like lots of butter, right? Lots of fat. A feast of well-aged wine. All my you know, fundy friends are like, ah, it's probably grape juice. No, it's wine. It's well-aged, and it's good, and it goes down smooth, right? A, of rich food full of marrow and of aged wine, well-refined. There he says it again. And, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that cast over all peoples, the veil that has spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. There's such a veil right now over this world. The Bible's not silent on why. Because this people is in a domain of darkness. And when I say this people, I meant me too. For 23 years, they can't see the God of this world, little g, God, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they might not be able to see the truth in the life of the gospel. But the gospel is way more powerful than that darkness. And so when it comes, it breaks through that light. He's saying, well, there's going to come a day, I'll remove it. I'll swallow it up. He says, I'll eat that. Speaking of the cross, I'll swallow that up so that people can actually see the radiance of my glory that they can't see right now. And what will we do? I'll swallow it up forever and the Lord God will wipe away every tear from all faces and the reproach of his people will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken and it will be said on this day, behold, this is our God. This is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. Speaking of Messiah coming, this is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad. Let us rejoice in His salvation. People, i got to tell you, I mean, we got to celebrate and out-celebrate everyone in this city who doesn't love Jesus. How you doing? I'm serious. Because it's compelling. People see that and they say, What's up with that? Now, sometimes they say that, and I'm like, what's up with that? That's weird. And it's not that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, does your life mark the fact that you've met this God of joy? And that, you can do that with tears rolling down your eyes. You can do that even depressed. And you will, because I'm not talking happy, slappy stuff. That's embarrassing. Weep if you need to weep. But weep as someone who has hope. And that's what that's pointing to. Don't ignore the invitation and miss out on feasting with Jesus forever. He's prepared everything for you. And how does it end? Revelation 19, 6 through 9 says this. And I want you to think about this. In times of suffering, you've got to get your head in the clouds. 
You've got to get your mind on what is to come, not right here, right now. You must take your eyes off your navel and put them on your God. And this is your future. Listen to what it says. And then I heard what seemed like to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty pearls and thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For, listen, you're going to a wedding. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. And it was granted to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen of the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to him, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage of the supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Family, if you're in Christ, feasting is your destiny. Feasting with God is your destiny. If you're not in Christ, oh man, I just want to compel you. (laughs) I just want to compel you to come. He's he's done everything. You just got to receive. Receive by faith. Trust him. Receive the gift of grace. Receive what he's done in and through his son and feast with God forever. That's what he desires. He says, go get him. Let's go get him by God's grace. That's our prayer. That's our hope. That is our mission. That's what we're seeking to do. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you that you are a God who pursues. You are a hospitable God and you sent your son leaving the comforts and the beauty of heaven where angels sung his praise 24-7 to come and to put on flesh, to be made weak. (laughs) It's, It's an amazing thing to think about, the God of all eternity becoming a baby, putting on flesh, living among us, coming and eating with sinners. Why? So that sinners might eat with you forever. But he knew his mission He received it with joy, and for the joy that was set before him, he endured. And now he's done everything, and he commands all people to repent and to believe this good news, to feast with him forever. God, help us to do this well. Help us to magnify the great name of Jesus in the city, in and through our lives, and our lives. The way we preach, the way we live, we ask this in Christ's beautiful name. Amen.